Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, tennis fans, and welcome to episode 30 of The Passing Shots. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello tennis fans, Wandering Wildcard Joel here and welcome to The Passing Shot, your tennis catch-up podcast. This week on The Passing Shot, we'll be looking back on the last two weeks of the tennis tour on the ATP and WTA circuit, where we've had lots of different events in America, in Europe, all around the globe. We have Charleston, Monterey, Bogota and Lugano on the WTA side. And we have Houston and Marrakesh on the ATP side. But before we get into all of that, Kim, it's a big, big birthday for the passing shot. Episode 30. How how have we done this? How how has this happened? Not entirely sure, to be honest with you. The big 3-0. Um, all we can say is a big thank you to everyone who has been listening from the very start and continues to listen Um we do thank you very much and appreciate it. And I think, you know, we should go and bake a big cake or something and celebrate and uh, blow out some candles. Although we're in different uh, parts of the world, aren't we, Joel? So that might be a bit, you know, difficult to send half a cake from Portugal to London. I think also if someone's making a cake, I think it should be you because if I made one, I don't think it would taste very good. Really? Oh, I'm not so sure about that. I, my, my expertise lies in, well... Hopefully tennis podcasting, not baking cakes. But (laughs) (laughs) anyway, yeah, it's been it's been it's been crazy. Um, But I'm all ready to talk everything tennis uh, for the next, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. And actually, interestingly, big 3-0 for us on the podcast. It's the same number of WTA premier finals that Caroline Wozniacki has now reached after she made the Charleston final couple of weeks ago and I think that's where we're going to begin uh with our roundup our results roundup for this week's episode so out in Charleston out on the green clay uh, I should say uh, I always find green clay well it's a bit funny isn't it you always think of the red stuff but the Americans like to be different it's the only green clay event I think on the WTA tour I think you forget I think yeah I think you're right you're kind of like red clay well you assume clay is played on on a a red surface (laughs) but but yeah in America green clay is obviously very popular Madrid they had that season when blue clay was uh, was a thing so there are different sorts of clay that exist and yeah as you said Charleston on the green clay Madison Keys I know I know she uh, sort of kind of came from nowhere like she's not done an awful lot of late and she beat Caroline Wozniacki in the final to to get the title seven six six three in the final um she bashed 
Caro off the court, really. 54 winners. Fourth title of Madison Keyes' career. To be honest with you, I kind of assumed she'd won a few more than that. Uh, but it's her first title on clay, actually. And she's just been working with a new coach. So I don't know if that's kind of had something to do with it. Probably has. So, yeah, well done, Madison Keys. And actually, talking of the colour of the surface, she has actually become, quite interestingly, the only player to have won all three WTA events on green surfaces. So Birmingham and Eastbourne being the others. So I thought that was quite a fun fact. It's obviously her favourite colour. But also, as we mentioned, uh, she beat Wozniacki in the final. And, you know, Wozniacki, again, hasn't had a great season. Um, she's just brought Francesca Schiavone on board to help her um, in the clay season. And obviously that has had an immediate impact with Wozniacki reaching the final. Uh, but also this is kind of one of, I think, her most favourite tournaments. Um, I liked the WTA uh, website. They 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 called Caroline Wozniacki the, the winningest player on tour in Charleston, which I thought isn't even a word, winningest. I mean, Kim, I looked, I was looking, I was reviewing the script for, you know, in preparation for this episode. And I did see winningest player on tour. And I did wonder, was was that you who that said was that not or me. was that someone else? <laughs> that was the WTA. Yeah, I copied and pasted that bit, like, you know, plagiarism alert, hey. But I just thought, <laughs> wow, what kind of, um, I don't know, word is that? But anyway, yeah, Caroline Wozniacki had uh, finished runner-up before and won this title. So she's obviously got good form in Charleston. So, yeah, and uh, I thought actually interesting, as we were saying, Caro has reached the most WTA Premier finals ever since that category was introduced in 2009. Um, do you know who else is in that sort of top list, Joel? Who might who might else have been up there? Well, I'd assume Serena Williams would possibly be up there and maybe Kvitova. You are correct. You're obviously looking at the script, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Serena is second of 25 and Petra Kvitova third of 22. And then we also have Maria Sharapova and Victoria Azarenka on 21. So, you know, that just kind of shows you some of the most consistent players, I guess, over the last 10 years on the WTA Tour. And then actually, interestingly, we also had, talking of Victoria Azarenka, I know she's one of your favourites, Joel, uh, but she had a pretty good week in Monterey, didn't she? Uh, she did until the final, uh, mm. I think. You know, she had her first, I think, top five win coming back from injury. She beat um, she beat Angelique Kerber in the semifinals. And we're all kind of ready for a big, big battle between uh, Muguruza and Azarenka in the final. And, and unfortunately, Azarenka had to had to retire, I think, with a leg injury. Yeah, she she really couldn't carry on. It was kind of getting too much for her to carry on. So it was such a shame because, you know, as you said, she she beat Kerber in the semis and, you know, it was kind of almost back to where she should be, really, um, at the top end of the tournament. And so a, bit, a big shame for the final, but Muguruza actually defended that title. So she won Monterey last year. So, um, yeah, she came out on top again. Uh, got the seventh title of her career. Again, another player. I kind of thought Muguruza would have had more than seven titles, seeing as she's won two slams. But, you know, <laughs> um, but interestingly, was... this tournament, though, I don't know if you're just yeah. about to say this, but it had such an epic lineup for a, for an international level tournament. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I don't know whether that was luck or, you know, whether they kind of uh, paid some big you know appearance fees to you know, high profile players. But yeah, it was absolutely fantastic, I guess, for the the organisers. 
you know, in the semi-finals, they had Muguruza, Azarenka, and Kerber, all um, all former world number ones, all have won multiple Grand Slams. So, you know, it was almost kind of like a, had the similar kind of feel to um, Charleston, which was a premier event going on at the same time. And yeah, almost kind of like, as kind of high quality in terms of um, in terms of uh, the field. Yeah, it just goes to show you don't always have to go to like the top <laughs> rated events to get, you know, the best tennis. Um, so, yeah, two champions from from that week, you know, Garbina Muguruza and Madison Keys. So, again, <laughs> we I know we'll be mentioning this in a, in a bit, but again, two different winners on the WTA tour. And this year has kind of been notorious, I suppose, so far for giving us such a diversity in champions already on the tour. So in the last week, just gone, we've had two more WTA events. So another international tournament uh, down in Bogota. I think that's the capital of Colombia, if my if my geography is correct. <laughs> and we had uh, a first title for Amanda Anisimova, who is the kind of young American teenager who... You know, she was a junior champion um, two years ago at the US Open. Uh, yeah, yeah, made a name for making herself. Making a name for herself yeah. this season. Exactly. She? So she clinched uh, Bogota. Um, she beat Astra Sharma, uh, Australian player, in the final. She was actually close to losing it. So Astra Sharma actually was close. Um, she held a break point on Anisimova's serve kind of in the ninth game of the second set. So it was, it was you know, could have gone either way at that point. Um, but Anisimova kind of came back and actually her her run to the title, she had a lot of, you know, three set matches to kind of get to that point. Um, I know you kind of raised an interesting an interesting point, um, you know, about the maybe the calibre of the opponents that she faced yeah, in this title I, run, Joel. I just yeah, I think it's 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 funny that, you know, we were just talking about Monterey being an international event, three former world number ones in the semifinals and you know, you compare that to Bogota, another international event, and the world rankings of the players that Anisimova had to face in order to win um, her first WTA title. These are the rankings that she had to face. 298, 151, 438, 165, and 138 in the final. Average ranking of, of 2,000. 2000 oh my god 2000 <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean my maths is bad, Scale, not yeah. that bad. Um, <laughs> average rank of uh 238 and I, yeah it just kind of goes to show you i mean obviously you can only beat what's in in front of you but i think she you know made the most of you know possibly what was quite a soft draw yeah to get to the final and, and win her her first her first uh her first tournament yeah, I mean, as you said, you can only play who's in front of you. And it's not her fault, is it, that she, um, yeah, had like 438 in the world to play. But I guess, you know, if she hadn't have come through the draw, then she might have been kicking herself a bit. But yeah, also interesting, Astra Sharma. I know um, I'd never even heard of her until the Australian Open, but, you know, she had a really good week. And also she won the women's doubles title, so did come away with some kind of silverware as well in the end. But then we also had a tournament closer to home, Lugano, uh, Switzerland, if again my geography is correct. And uh, we had a, a slightly older champion uh, in in Lugano with Polona, I want to say Herzog, but I think it might be Herzog, Joel. Should we be getting the swear jar out? I think the, the swear jar, the pronunciation jar, <laughs> pronunciation jar 
it, it's coming out for one of us. If you say Herzog, I'll say Herzog. So we okay. can kind of diplomatic. We're both not wrong. Yeah. Um, Amazing. But yeah, she ended her seven year drought to win her third WTA singles title and beat another player who I'm going to struggle to pronounce in um, a rising teenager called Iger Sviatek. 6-3, 3-6, in the final. Both kind of both players were going into it having high hopes uh, to to win, but um, yeah, Hertzog uh, came out on top, and yeah, kind of first title in seven years. I'm sure she'll be really uh, happy, you know, with that result. I think again, kind of the story of this tournament was that seven of the eight seeds lost before the quarterfinals, and it kind of opened up big opportunity for the the semi-finalists given that that Herchog was actually the highest ranked player remaining in the final four so yeah and she's 89 in the world so <laughs> yeah exactly and so she yeah she kind of showed her form to get through to the final and 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 beat kind of uh this this kind of rising teenager in Sviatek who I'm sure we haven't heard the last of I think she's now uh, with that result, Polish uh, Polish number one. She's the reigning junior Wimbledon champion, Wimbledon champion as well. So I think, you know, with Radvanska, uh, ret- you know, retiring, it almost seems like there's kind of this natural transition with uh, Sviatek almost taking that, that reign. She's certainly in the top 100 now. I think a year ago, she was world number 692. So that's a very good rise for Iga, yeah, Sviatek, I, I think is maybe how you say that name. And also great tournament, yeah, for Polona Hershog. So, yeah, we shall see. Um, but again, we now have two, uh, well, 18 different champions for the 18 WTA tour level events of 2019. Can you name all those 18 champions, Joel? This is a good a good memory mm, test. Good <laughs> question. Yeah. Probably probably not. I could probably name 10, couldn't name them all, but I find it it's absolutely crazy we've got to this point of this season and, you know, you know, in previous, you know, in seasons gone past, you know, where we might have, you know, a handful of women's players kind of dominating and picking up multiple titles. It just shows you the strength in depth in women's tennis at the moment that, you know, we're getting into the, you know, depths of the, the clay season and we still haven't had a, a multiple title winner this season. I know. I really want the first 26 tour events to have had, you know, 26 players of different letters of the alphabet at the start of their name, but <laughs> we've already had two A's, three B's and three K's. So that's kind of been ruined. So I'll just summarise. Andreescu, Enisimova, Barty, Bencic, Burtons, Gurgis, Herchog, Kenin, Keys, Kvitova, Mugarusa, Mertens, Asaka, Pliskova, Sabalenka, Van Utvank, Wang Yafan and Yastremska. So there we have it. A lovely bunch of ladies. And I think that brings us on nicely to the uh, ATP results in the last two weeks. Yeah, so we've not had as many tournaments in the on the ATP tour as the the women's side we've had two 250 events the first one I'm going to talk about is Houston which again was on a is on a kind of clay clay surface it's a really kind of it's not a really bright red clay but it's a it's almost like a blend between orange and red um <laughs> in anyway in the past this this tournament has been previously kind of dominated by um surprisingly actually kind of by Americans and uh, Steve I think Steve Johnson won was top seed and and won it last year, but I think he actually went out very early on in the tournament. And by the end of the week, we had a winner in 
Christian Garin, who became the first Chilean ATP champion since uh, Fernando Gonzalez won the 2009 Vina Del Mar Open. He had some form going into the tournament. He was a finalist in Sao Paulo, where I think he lost to Guido Pet. Pella in the in the golden swing Kim golden swing um, yeah lovely golden swing <laughs> <laughs> and yeah he defeated Casper Rude in the final who is another kind of one of those next gen players maybe a little bit off the you know off the you know main main conversation when it comes to the next gen but certainly a, a player also to keep an eye on it was kind of a very kind of gripping very competitive matchup with Garing coming out seven six four six six three in the final yeah, no, it's, um, I remember Christian Garin, that was kind of the first, I don't know, moment where he kind of came onto my radar when he reached the Sao Paulo final. So yeah, great that he um, clinched his uh, his first ATP title. And yeah, Houston, it's weird, I kind of forget this tournament even exists on the calendar sometimes, because you just don't really think of, yeah, like America and clay being a thing. And yeah, it's quite interesting that it's normally had quite, you know, Americans have had quite a lot of success there, especially amongst like big servers, like thumping their serves down. But yeah, great, great to see Christian Garin, you know, new names on the on the circuit and also Casper Rudd. Um, interestingly, I didn't know this, but Casper Rudd, his dad played tennis, Christian Rudd, and he won uh, River Oaks in 1996, which I guess must have been another tournament. So it's kind of running in the in the family. Um, so that's nice that, you know, they can carry carry the baton along in the Rudd family. And and also just say, before we move on to Marrakesh, just a, a special shout out goes to Daniel Galan, who was a wildcard qualifier and got to the semifinals. So uh, he kind of had like a, his own kind of Cinderella story. I wondered if mm. he was actually going to get to get to the final and, and win. But um, still a very good effort from him to come through. Uh, qualifying as a wild card and get to the semi-finals and of the I think, main draw. I think he's Colombian, isn't he? Daniel Galan or, yeah, another, I think, South American. But yeah, another new name <laughs> on the block. So, <laughs> yeah. And then moving on to Marrakesh, where we had everyone's bearded hipster favourite, Benoit Pair. He won his first ATP Tour title in four years. He defeated the defending champion Pablo Andujar 6-2, 6-3 in the final. Pair actually has a pretty good record at Marrakesh. I think he's now improved to to a win-loss record of 12-5. And and that is his second title on, I think, in his career with both coming on clay. And his first one, yeah, was back in 2015 in Bastad. And I think, you know, I think this pretty much just sums up Benoit, Benoit Pair. April 3rd, he lost 6-3, 6-2 to the number 207 in the world, Roberto Marquora in the Muratroglu Open Challenger. And April 14th, literally like less than two weeks later, <laughs> he goes and wins an ATB level event. And beating Andujar as well, who's a very, who was actually carrying a lot of form going into the tournament. I think he had pre- had just won a, a challenger title the previous week, also on clay. So to kind of kind of swat him away, six three six two, a, a pretty routine victory. Um, he, he's obviously carries carrying some form. Unfortunately, I can't say that about Alex Verev, who took a wild card into the tournament, and you know, off the back of some you know indifferent results in Miami and in Indian Wells and yeah he I think he won one match but then kind of lost 
Um, he lost in he lost, he lost in the to second Halmey match. Munar, didn't he? I think. And it was quite. It was a really long match. It was a really long match, but it was one you would expect him to win. Oh yeah, I mean, I think indifferent is a really good way to describe Sasha Zverev's season so far. He just is going out early. Just doesn't seem to be getting any of the results that we would be looking for from him. And you know, he's coming into the clay season having performed very well last year because he won. Oh gosh, which one did he win? Madrid. <laughs> um, he had some really good form. I think he reached a final and won one of the Masters. So, you know, his rankings potentially going to drop. You know, he's been losing a lot against players. You know, outside the top fifty. So, and this was he took a wild card into this tournament to kind of try and get a bit of a kickstart, but it's not not to be. Didn't didn't quite succeed. I think in what he was hoping to get from it. Yeah, we had. He's had four out of his five losses come against players outside the top 50. So, you know, I, I know we always kind of focus on Zverev when it comes to Grand Slams. And, you know, obviously he's, you know, still got that as a, an obstacle to overcome. But, you know, it seems on the, the ATP level, of ATP Tour level events at the moment, he's he's really struggling to put away the players that he really should be kind of, you know, ranking-wise should routinely uh, be, be beating and, and not giving him so much uh, of, of a problem. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But um, as you said earlier, really good to see Pablo Andihar kind of on such a good run of form because he had quite a lot of bad surgeries, I think. And, you know, this time last year, he was down at 355 in the world. Um, so it's, you know, good that he's getting back up there and, you know, he can still, he's one of those like classic Spanish, you know, play quarters. So <laughs> it's uh, he's, he's back on home, you know, home turf for the clay. So, uh, yeah, I think, and obviously we've got Monte Carlo, uh, which is now underway as we're recording this and we'll be catching that up, I think next week. So it's, uh, you know, fully, fully on with the clay season and, you know, I love Monte Carlo. It's like my favorite tournament. So super excited for what's happening this week. Um, but yeah, I think let's, let's talk about British players on tour in the last few weeks. Um, not an awful, uh, lot, I suppose, um, at least not on kind of ATP WTA level. Um, but we have had quite a lot of Brits and the ITF circuit doing pretty well, having some good runs of form. So we had Emma Raducanu and Jodie Burridge in the ITF event in Bolton, I think it was. And they, um, you know, had some really, really good form. Emma Raducanu beat two top 200 players. Uh, Jodie Burridge also has won 11 out of 13 uh, matches. So again, you know, them two, you know, you've got the Fed Cup coming up. Them two could arguably, you know, legitimately be put into the squad. But in actual fact, the squad has been named. And, you know, we've actually got, obviously, stronger players. So Conta, Bolter, Watson, Swan and Dart, they are going to be our team to face Kazakhstan in the uh, promotion playoff at the uh, the Copper Box in London. Uh, but good to see, you know, good to see them having some good form on the ITF circuit. And actually Harriet Dart, in the Sunderland event, she got to the final um, and then actually, you know, she was the top seed, got to the final, but lost to a Romanian qualifier. Yeah. Uh, frustratingly. And, and and just, and just on that um, event in Sunderland, Laura Robson was playing it as well. And I think she, she won her first round match in three sets, battled through to face Harriet Dart in the second round. And I saw that matchup and I was thinking, oh, this is quite interesting. We'll actually see, how Robson will do um, against Harriet Dart, someone who will probably be in that Fed Cup squad. So I was kind of eagerly kind of 
looking at work on my on my phone to kind of get updates on the score. And the first update I saw was like, you know, Harriet Dart was three love up after nine minutes. First set ran ran away completely from Laura Robson. Mm. Lost uh, lost lost the first set six love, and then and then unfortunately um, had to retire uh, due to injury. So again, kind of not the greatest, um, not the greatest of tournaments for for Laura Robson. And I think Harriet Dart was quite kind of um, you know sympathetic towards towards Robson, as as we all are, to be honest. And you know, it's just I guess sad that you know we're kind of you know I hope it's just not another injury that's going to keep her out for you know for ages, and hopefully she can kind of get back on and and, and get back on the court. Yeah, I think the question is, will she ever get back to where you know she should be or where she? I guess is capable and has been in the past. It's it's it must be extremely frustrating. So I do hope she can have a bit more luck in you know in the near future. Um, interestingly, though, we also had an announcement um, for another sort of young prospect. So um, it's a player that we've we've known of as an Australian player called um, Nike the Baines. Nike the Baines. Not entirely sure how you pronounce the first name, but I've seen her play at like AO and. I've been sort of aware of her, but um, she was actually born in Leeds, but she switched nationality back, well, back to back to GB, back to Britain from Australia. Um, she's currently ranked 253 in the world, so I'm not sure um, the reason for her for her switch. Um, I don't know if it's funding related. Yeah, that didn't um, from the press release that I read that wasn't initially stated I mean we could obviously speculate whether you know it's funding or whether you know a lot of the sometimes these things are around kind of wild cards and entries into tournaments and you know I wonder I wonder I'll be interested to see you know if she if if you know part of it was getting a wild card into Wimbledon perhaps um so we can only kind of speculate on that matter but yeah certainly another player that's just been added to kind of the growing pool of you know GB women's players who are certainly um you know on the rise in that kind of crop with Katie Swan, Harriet Dart, uh Raducanu and and Jodie Burridge so um it will be interesting to see uh how she develops Exactly and talking about the men uh we we had uh, Carl Edmund losing to Joe Wilfred Songer out in Marrakesh, so you know, not a, not a, not at a uh, embarrassing think, defeat by any no, by any means. Pretty rough draw, I think, getting Songer as a wild card in in yeah. kind of your first round. I think that's a bit bit unlucky, but yeah, <laughs> no, it's been quite you're close right. set, I think. Yeah, uh, but actually, our doubles guys, uh, you know, we had Neil and Ken Skupski. They got to the final out in Houston, um, lost to Gonzalez and uh, Aiden Ohat Qureshi. Uh, but yeah, they lost in a match tie rate. So, you know, good effort from the Skupskis. Um, and I, on, a, on another note, this is not really related to British success, but my, my doubles favourite, Freddie Nilsson reached the Marrakesh final, uh, beating Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez in the first round. So uh, we all remember Freddie Nilsson playing with with Johnny Murray to clinch that famous Wimbledon doubles title back in 2012. So um, yeah, if anyone likes more obscure doubles pairings, then give me a shout on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I think that brings us nicely onto School Board Stories, Joel, where I'm hoping you'll have more random... Uh, 
you know, scoring facts and, and frivolities for me. Yeah. So scoreboard, scoreboard stories, big, big result. Uh, I want to talk to you about Kim that actually was such a crazy scoreline that it made national headlines. It was concerning the ITF Sunderland 25k that we've just been speaking about where um, Harriet Dart and, and Laura Robson were playing. But the Brit involved was Tara Moore, who has been around for a while now, you know, not really kind of gone as high as, you know, we were hoping. But um, she defeated a player called Jessica Pon- Ponche Ponchette. And the scoreline was love six, seven, six, six, three. She, this, this match is being talked about potentially as one of the biggest comebacks ever in the tennis game. She was love six, love five, 30, 40 down. And she, yeah, came back to win it. Um, those two sets, seven, six, six, three, absolutely unbelievable. I mean, that is crazy. That is... <laughs> like, oh, dear. I'm, su- but... I, <laughs> I'm surprised Jessica Ponche didn't just, you know, sort of mentally combust and lose the last set like 6-1. Um, but good on Tara Moore. Like, what a fight back. That's that's crazy. Um, do you know what? I often have a dream where I'm, like, coming back from, like, the brink of defeat in a Wimbledon final. And, uh, you know coming down from like the, what's the worst score that you could ever be down by you know love six love five love 40 right uh, it's almost <laughs> like that yeah and you know a lot of people on twitter were quick to kind of look at you know was this the greatest comeback ever in in tennis in the women's game um and you know there were some other kind of contenders that were being brought out to uh to rival this comeback and the i think the best one i saw one that i was obviously completely unaware of 1983 us open um a player called barbie bramblett great name um was love six love five love 40 down uh against another player called Anne hulbert um in the second round of qualifying came back to win and she saved 18 match points along the way. <laughs> That's got to be a record, surely, like out of any event. 18 match points saved. Yeah, I, yeah. and in qualifying as well. I mean, that is um, wow. serious kind of never never say die, never give up sort of attitude. Yeah. Never um, give up. I wonder indeed. if Ann Holbert... I wonder if Anne Holbert still thinks about that match and think, oh, it's <laughs> the, one, the one that got away, the one that got away. I might have to Google um, her when we finish recording because I'm really intrigued now. <laughs> yeah, oh so so we'll put up we'll put up um we'll put up that scoreboard from the the Tara Moore match. Show you that epic comeback in all its glory in the scoreboard on our Instagram account. Um, so if you want to follow us on Instagram, um, it's at Passing Shot Pod, and yeah, you can see all of our all of our scoreboard stories from all of our episodes from episode one up to episode 30 um, and um, all of our other kind of um, things that we found interesting and reference on the, on the podcast as well. Um, Indeed. So yeah, so that's, that's scoreboard stories for this week. Let's move on now to the wild card. 
um, which is kind of our, our section rounding up the best of the rest in terms of tennis news off court. Um, I'll I'll start, Kim. Um, what do you have I for me? Noticed, well, I've I've noticed that um, you know we're obviously gearing up to the Olympics in um, are we in 2020 <laughs> oh gosh in 2020 yeah. uh, i know yeah. I was thinking, you know it's gonna be 19 <laughs> it's it's gonna come around quicker than you you you're I expecting know. i remember prepping for london 2012 <laughs> <laughs> that feels well, like yesterday oh <laughs> my god well the um well the ioc have come out and said that uh first of all there will be no more three set doubles matches at the Olympics. Um, there will be, I guess, similar to the tour, there'll be a match tie break in lieu of a third set. But more interestingly, the men's final, which in the past has been a traditional best of five set match, um, that will no longer be best of five. That will be a best of three set match. So um, it means that the only, um, I think this is right, the only place left for best of five set tennis it's now, I think it's now exclusive to the Grand Slams. So there will be no longer a best of five match set match in the Olympic final. Interesting. I suppose it does make it more consistent. Um, and to be fair, it's, yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of the... It's uh, not something I... that I sort of really think about too much, like the Olympics. It's only every four years. But I guess, you know, it... A lot well, of the... Uh, the... The Federer conspiracy theorists have, have suggested. <laughs> oh no! It's just well, they, so have, can, they have got in touch with the IOC me. to make to make this change <laughs> to give him, you know, yeah. his best chance possible in order to to win a singles gold. gold. The, the one thing, the one thing he hasn't won. So uh, yeah, there are definitely some conspiracy theories as well. Oh, Djokovic as well, I, I suppose. Yeah, He's never I don't think they're very credible, it. but um, no, nah. uh, but yes. But well, um, on, yeah, moving on indeed, uh, sort of remaining in the Japanese sphere of things. Uh, Naomi Osaka has changed clothing sponsor from Adidas to Nike. Uh, Nike, Nike, never quite sure how to say it, to be honest. Um, so I think she's kind of, you know, their new big name female player, because obviously um, they've got Serena but and Sharapova, but Actually, they don't have too many of the of the top women, do they, um, Nike? Um, I don't know. But anyway, Osaka, I'm assuming it's because of money. She's, she's switched over to Nike. But she's still going to be allowed to wear her sponsor patches, um, which normally is not allowed with Nike. Um, and Lena was the first high-profile uh, female tennis player to that rule. Um, but Osaka has is, is been allowed to keep her, her sponsor patches. I don't even know what she sponsors, but... You know, I assume they're like Japanese brands. Um, so she'll be she'll be Nike from now on. So um, and then moving on from uh, from clothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <to> tennis. We... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We had uh, a player announce his retirement. We had uh, Nicholas Nicholas Almagro uh, announce his retirement at a challenger in Mercia. Um, I think it's from a lot Mercia. of kind of. I'm sure that's his home. Is that from? Yeah, I think I think you're right. That's his home home tournament. And um, yeah, what was what was actually great? uh, I don't know if you saw Kim. His final point. He was his opponent put the ball up, massive like moon ball into the air, like landed smack bang in the middle of the court, 
he you think he's going to go for smash and kind of you know keep the match going on he just absolutely whacks it out the stadium and that was his <laughs> final that was his final ever point uh, as a as a professional tennis so player. i assume he lost uh, the match with that yeah and i i don't know <laughs> if he got a code violation for for ball epic. abuse but um it was you know an epic i love way to, to go out oh. I love Almagro because he used to get so annoyed. Like I remember he's one of those players that really used to like throw his racket and I don't know, he had quite an attitude, but I did used to quite like him. But also, interestingly, um, we could make an argument, couldn't we, that he is one of the last true clay court specialists in in the tennis, you know, scene because um his he reached twenty-three finals in his career, all of which were on clay. He had 19 top 10 wins, um, 16 of which were on clay. His uh, win-loss percentage on clay was vastly superior to other surfaces. In fact, on other surfaces, he had more losses than wins. So he really was a very uh, specialised player, wasn't he, Joel? Yeah, he he was. And um, yeah, I, I can only... Whenever I think about him, I only think about him playing on a on a clay court with his single handed backhand. But um, yeah, yeah, a yeah. very kind of a very kind of durable opponent. Very kind of yeah, very hard. I think very hard to break. I think if I kind of to think about Almagro, for me, he's like one of those players. Very hard to break down, like a almost like a Cole Schreiber sort of player, and that he, you know, if you if you try and you know face him toe to toe from the baseline. Um, you know, he he is a very kind of very solid player from from the back of the court. Yeah, no, we shall we shall miss that Magro. No, he had a lot of injury problems, so he hasn't really been around that much of late. So, uh, farewell to Nicholas Almagro. Um, speaking of, uh, well, <laughs> we've got some slightly less uh, salubrious news. Um, We've had a player being suspended due to corruption allegations. So, um, João Souza of Brazil, not to be confused with João Souza yeah. of Portugal. I, <laughs> Kim, I only I only put this in because I know we had we had an episode recently Yang where we talked Yang, about Wang and same, Wang. same name matchups, and yeah. I just thought let's continue <laughs> the same name loving and talk about corruption. Uh, so. I wonder what João Souza of Brazil has been up to. I mean, I, he's been, uh, it's only alleged, so we're not wanting to accuse him of anything. But yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. I want to know more about that. Um, Maybe it's so identity yeah. theft. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with that one. Um, also, the next thing I wanted to bring up was this um, caused bit of debate on Twitter and amongst the tennis field. What did you make of this 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 clay court things poster that the ATP? Uh, well, they put it up and then they took it down again, and then they replaced it, it with yeah, another and one. Then they put it up again, and it, oh, it was very, very, it was very bizarre, very confusing. Everyone was just like, you know, it's just been on? thought up by the marketing department. It's just been thought up by people who don't actually know tennis. If if anyone who's not kind of aware of it on on the ATP Twitter, uh, they pro- they promoted the hashtag uh, Clay Court Things with um, an image to kind of promo the upcoming European Clay Court season. In this image, and we'll put this on our Instagram account as well. They have bafflingly they've got Roger Fen- Federer <laughs> in the centre. Rafael Nadal is kind of like pushed out pushed out to the side. 
Um, everyone's kind of looking like moody and, and serious, and yeah, it's just it's just very bizarre. Everyone was kind of what thinking, well, kind of why is Nadal not in the middle? He's the guy who's like like the best ever clay court player. Uh, why is kind of Federer in the middle? You know, he hasn't hasn't played the French Open since 2015. You know, he's not really been. Uh, uh, you know, he's not been an established player, you know, in the clay part of the season for the last couple of years. Um, you know, it was just very If it bizarre. was grass so, court, yeah, if it was grass court things, it would make sense. But <laughs> it's not, it's clay court. So, yeah, they should have, you know, put Rapper or, or you know, Novak uh, together or something in the, uh, you know, they've put Dominic team on the other side of Federer. So implying that Rafa and team are, are equals on clay. And of course, team is one of the best clay court players in the world. But, you know, one of them has got 11 Roland Garros titles, the other has none. So a um, bit bizarre, but obviously they realised their mistake and took it down. And if anyone's wondering what is clay court things all about, it's a play on Stranger Things, which is a Netflix show. So they've kind of done it like the style of that, I assume. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen Stranger Things. Maybe it will make me watch it. Um, Djokovic's hand also looks quite weird. It looks like it's his thumb <laughs> yeah. is sticking out of his ear. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Yep. So it's just not a very good photo. No, it's it's strange. I don't know who who designed that, but um, I'm glad they kind of rectified it somewhat. ATP Twitter <laughs> do better. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and then to finish off today's episode, um, I've seen that Caroline Wozniacki obviously had her hen party on the weekend, uh, featuring Serena Williams. They were sort of playing around on Instagram, posing in, you know, bride outfits and all of that. Um, so that's exciting from a gossip perspective, I guess. And oh, what I, this is my favorite piece of news from the tennis tournament, uh, from the tennis tour this week. Stan Wawrinka has um, just unveiled a new range of refillable and reusable water bottles, um, which I think he's sort of designed in partnership with Evian, his sponsor. So um, I know we mentioned this before about Novak starting to use uh, reusable bottles, but Stan has kind of come out with his own range. And I think that's actually, you know, such a good idea. And every player could have their own, you know, personalised bottle that fans could buy. I would totally buy a Rafa one. And I'd, you know, proudly go around drinking yeah. out of it. So, um, yeah, I was pleased to see that step in the right direction. Yeah, def- uh, definitely. I think, yeah, you might be onto something there. You know, yeah. uh, I'm almost like a mer- could be a merchandising opportunity. Yeah, can make th- money out I- of the war on plastic. Yeah, and it'll, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if you know other kind of players follow suit. You know, is this going to be like a a player sort of movement uh, towards helping the environment? Um, to the point where you kind of the ATP is also kind of get involved and kind of incorporate these things, or they're just kind of going to let it up, you know, let it up to the, you know, to individuals to kind of figure out what they want to do, you know, to, to, you know, to, yeah, to help the, to help create a greener, a greener tour. Also for fans attending tournaments, they must always make sure there's like, you know, refillable water taps. Cause I think there are some tournaments where you sort of have to search for like, the tap hidden in the hedge because there's no official you know refillable station just so they can make money so yeah certainly an avenue to be um improved on i think from you know environmental perspective um but joel did you have anything else that you'd like to bring up this week 
um, at the start of the clay season 2019. Any other burning bits of, of news that you have? Well, I thought, Kim, we could just quickly end on one tweet from Stefanos Sissipas with Monte Carlo already kind of starting. And as Kim said, we'll be doing a catch up episode for Monte Carlo specifically uh, next week. But he brought up the fact that could we have another mixed Masters uh, event like Indian Wells, like Miami with Monte Carlo, a combined men and women's event? I would love to see that. I don't know if like infrastructurally it's possible. There's no space would... at Monte Carlo, I don't think. I mean, it's a small there, site. Kim, so... I've been there four times to the tournament. I love it. It's great. <laughs> There's no not space enough space. For women. No, no space for women. <laughs> Do not use that as a teaser because that sounds incredibly sexist. No, I would love to see a women's tournament there, but they'd have to do it either the week before or after because, yeah, the site just isn't big enough. But, you know, a lot of the, obviously, the top women players reside in, in Monaco. You know, Wozniacki and Pliskova and I don't know who else resides there. But <laughs> um, so I think it would be fabulous. I don't I don't know why they haven't haven't done that. I think they need to get on the phone with, uh, you know, Albert, Prince Albert of Monaco, who, in- interestingly, I saw play at, at the Monte Carlo Open. Uh, he's not oh, very good at tennis. as well? Yeah, oh, okay. he, was play- he was playing with, um, was it Ilina Nastasi? He was just having a mess around on one of the courts. And then I went up to him and asked for his autograph. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no. So anyway, that was my experience at Monte Carlo, meeting Prince Albert. But I think it would be a great a great yeah. idea to have a well, that's just a, it is Yeah, that's just a, a thought. As a thought, we'll leave our uh, passing shot listeners with. Um, you know, are there any other events you think that should be should be mixed events? Let us know. Um, you can contact us on uh, on social media. Um, you can contact us on Twitter. Uh, our account is at Passing Shot Pod. Um, on Facebook as well, uh, you can contact us on at, shop, at Passing Shot Pod, and on email, you can email our email address is Passing Shot Pod at gmail.com. As always, remember to uh, give us a like, give us a subscribe, um, give us a rating if you're really enjoying listening to the show. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all the podcasting platforms out there. Just search the Passing Shot Tennis podcast uh, and finally we will be back next time we'll be doing a catch-up of monte carlo and we hope you can join us then but thanks for listening and goodbye <laughs>